Good morning. This weather is almost nice enough to make a man consider moving down here. My sister-in-law sent me a picture of back home in Cleveland. They just got their first real blizzard yesterday. The Lord is good. You got me out of there just in time. Yeah. Wow. The kids leave and we lose half of our congregation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So good to see uh, a lot of familiar faces. Some I don't recognize, but it's good to be here to worship the Lord Jesus. What a great God we have. What a Savior. Boy, that song says it all. Um, If I had my choice, maybe I think we would just have 45 minutes of prayer meeting now. That said it all. Let's have a brief word of prayer now. Father, we thank you so much for what we just sang, Lord, the truth of the cross and your precious son who hung there, Lord, and there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Lord, we worship you, we fear you, we stand in awe of you that you would give your only begotten son. Lord, help us to comprehend uh, the depths, the width, the breadth, the height how much love you have for us in your precious Son. Lord, thank you for leaving us your holy written scriptures. Lord, they're living. Your word says it's the very voice of God in Psalm 103, the voice of his word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, most of us here are true believers. And as we look at this parable about the reality that there are many false believers unconverted believers. Lord, help us to grow and use this teaching to help us to minister to others. And Lord, if there's anyone in the hearing of your words this morning or if they listen to this, Lord, that you might draw them to Jesus, Father, and help them to see your incredible love for them. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. Take control of our minds By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's just good to be here and um, had the privilege to be in Key West just over the weekend and um, continue to pray for the ministry there. The prison door is wide open, except I didn't get in yesterday. Interesting. I'm scheduled to be there on Fridays and Saturdays. Friday was no problem getting in. Saturday, I wasn't on the list, so... Gives you an idea of what we can pray for. Pray that it's open every Friday and Saturday, Lord willing, from 1 to 4 p.m. Had the privilege to be uh, on Friday with the immigration violators. So I prayed real hard that I could get the gift of tongues. (laughs) And I almost got it. I know a little bit of Spanish, but I always pray because most of them are Spanish-speaking. But we had six men come out and from six different countries. Wow. One from Russia. One from Portugal and the rest Spanish-speaking. And one of them was able to translate pretty good for me. So we had a wonderful time. We have the Gospels of John, uh, bilingual, uh, left-side English, right-side Spanish. So that's, uh, we're able to go through that with them. Saturday is the English-speaking uh, men. And uh, yeah, it's a great ministry. I also pray for um, what kind of used to be the chapel there. I, it's still called the chapel. It's uh, almost, I, I think there's still... Resurrection, definitely possibilities there. So pray for that. Uh, some of you know some of the details. We won't go into much depth about that. Turn, if you would, with me to Matthew 13. And we're going to look at the next parable here. Um, I am literally trembling right now, um, as I do most times when I stand up here with the Word of God. But this time, this is an incredible Serious passage in the Bible. They're all obviously incredibly serious. It's eternal. It's the Word of God. But basically this passage teaches us, and many other places we're going to look at today too, that there are... I understand that... And I, and I weep that people who are lost and want to be lost, in other words, they don't want Jesus, I should say, Certain religions, they reject Jesus Christ. Atheism rejects there's even a God. 
I can kind of get my mind around that, you know, that they're going to go to a place called the Lake of Fire, be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever, they'll be tormented day and night forever. And I, I kind of understand that. But then there's a group of people who are saying that they know Jesus. And they're assembling with the people of God and they're doing Christian things. And within that group, there's two groups. Some are truly converted and going to heaven when the rapture comes, which we don't know when it's going to happen. But then there's the other portion of the group, which is large. Actually, Jesus says it seems to be larger than those going to heaven. We'll see that in a moment. But they're not going to go to heaven. They're saying they're Christians. They're saying they're hanging with Jesus and his people, kind of. And yet their eternity is going to be lost forever. Very serious passage. So the parable, we're just going to look at it. We start in uh, Matthew 13, verse 24. It's titled, The Tares Among Wheat. So just before we get started, I, I, I understand that uh, some of the great Bible scholars say that tares is a term for weeds, right? Versus wheat. Wheat is what we want. The weeds, how many ever had gardening? Grow a garden or some food, right? You don't want the weeds. They choke out. We're looking at that the last parable, right? The weeds come and choke everything out. Well, the, the weeds, the tares here are simply weeds, okay? And apparently, it's a, it's a weed called um, bearded darnel. It's the most common, supposable. Again, I'm no expert. This is what I've read up on a little bit. It's the most common weed in Israel, and it grows up. It looks just like wheat, like a grass growing up until the wheat bears fruit. Then they're easily distinguishable. Okay? So they, the weed looks like wheat, but it ain't wheat. Verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares, that that weed, right? That looks just like wheat. Sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. So it's even in the scriptures that it's obvious when the wheat produces fruit, then you can tell the two apart. Verse twenty. Seven. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds, tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the weeds, the tares... You might, you may uproot the wheat with them. Instead, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, the weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. A parable is a simple earthly story but it has a heavenly meaning, okay? So we're going to focus first on just the, heav- on the earthly story for a moment or two. It's very simple. We, you can almost don't need to say a whole lot about it. Um, and then we want to look at how Jesus teaches us what is the heavenly meaning behind this. Um, it's simple. There's a farmer. He's a landowner. He's got servants. And he casts good seed, right? And it sprouts up one time, one day, and he scatters his seed in the field, his field, and eventually the seeds sprout up, and then his servants come and tell him, there's weeds all over the place. They're growing up. Do you want us to go and pull them out? And he says, no, don't do that. And again, if you've done any gardening or, I mean, you just put your mind together, you got a, a, a blade of wheat here and a blade of weed next to it, well, down at the bottom, the roots get entangled, so the 
just a simple, simple earthly truth is no, don't pull them up yet because you might pull up the wheat and it hasn't sprouted yet. But when the time of the harvest comes, when you're ready to take the wheat, it don't matter if you pull it up because we're going to harvest it anyway, right? And that's what he's saying right there. It seems to be uh, pretty clear. The last verse there said, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them. So what do you do with the weeds? That which is not wheat gets cast away and it literally gets burned. Just a simple truth, right? Get rid of that dead weeds. But then gather the wheat into my barn. And so we're going to jump down to when Jesus gives the teaching, explains it, verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds. Just a side point here. And there's uh, Jesus spoke these parables, all of them, to the crowds. And then there were times, as you saw last week, was it, or whenever he went through the last parable, that his disciples came to him and he explains to his disciples. And disciples is a follower. It's kind of a generic term. At the, later on it gets used in Acts as it says the disciples were first called Christians. Uh, but again, even within the disciples, those who are just following along with Jesus in the masses, in the crowd, they're not all truly converted. And we see that, we'll see that as we look more into the scriptures. Then he left the crowds, went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And Jesus said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, he's just going to walk through us, right? What is each, what was each one of these picturing, these pictures, what are they in reality? What are you trying to tell us? Well, it's real clear. The farmer, the one who's sowing the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ himself, a, a name that he uses for himself even more than he calls himself the Son of God, referring back to Daniel chapter 7, when the Lord Jesus Christ is that Son of Man who's going to come one day to the, the Ancient of Days. And in Revelation, he's depicted again coming. You see in chapter 4, the Father God sitting on the throne, and in chapter 5, you see Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, coming up to the Father, taking the scroll and beginning to take over his rightful ownership of the earth once again and pouring out the judgments as he un un uh, opens up the scroll bit by bit. So very clearly, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. What's the field? The whole world. So Jesus is planting his disciples throughout the whole world. Just a quick side note here, which is a really wonderful application. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. I first came home from the mission field uh, from New Zealand a long time back, and there was a family there, a Christian family, who took me in their home. Their last name was Bloom. Stephen Barr Bloom, and they had a little wooden plaque in their kitchen. It just said, Bloom, where you're planted. And they did. They were just businessmen, but they were just passionately in love with Jesus and telling everybody, every, every person they could possibly tell about the Lord Jesus whenever they could. Just, it was really good. So he plants his disciples. He determines where we're going to live, and he plants us there. The field is the world. And as for the good seed... These are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares, the weeds, are the sons of the evil one. So there's two kingdoms. And there's two families. One family were sons of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And another family is sons, read the next part, verse 20, 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of the evil one. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, and that's simple, right? You get rid of the weeds when it's time to pull them up. So shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks 
and those who commit lawlessness. What will happen to them, these people? And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, S-U-N, in the kingdom of their father. It's the father's kingdom. He who has ears, let him hear. Hold your place there and turn to Revelation chapter 14. There's coming a day, 14, verse 14. There's coming a day, as Jesus just said, at the end of the age when he's going to send angels to reap a harvest and separate. Let's read it in verse 14. Then I looked, Revelation 14, 14. This is John speaking. He's having these visions of all the end times. Um, Already had the seal judgments. We had the trumpet judgments. And the bowl judgments are just about all ready to happen, the last. And God, for these, seems to be the last three and a half years, perhaps the whole seven years, is pouring out these judgments and they just intensify like a woman in labor, Jesus said. In the tribulation, it's just going to be more intense, more intense, closer together, and wrath upon wrath upon wrath upon wrath, till finally you've got this greatest earthquake that's ever occurred on the planet Earth. Islands are falling into the sea. 100-pound hails, 100 hailstones falling from the sky. All the blood is, all the water is turned to blood, the fresh water, the sea water. And this is after years of God pleading with people to repent through the 144,000 witnesses, then through the two witnesses, which will be on public media throughout the whole world watching live. And they watch them preach for three and a half years until God finally says they're done. And then the Antichrist kills them. But uh, a few days later, after the people are celebrating like Christmas, giving gifts to everybody because finally these guys are... Stop preaching at us that we need to repent. And all of a sudden, the whole world watches, it says, and these guys, a voice says, come up here, and they raise from the dead, and they go up and they all watch. And then a great earthquake, and it's incredible. And God is passionate to save the lost. He doesn't delight in the punishment of the wicked. But there comes a time after years and years and years, and he's done everything. He even is going to send an angel and give the everlasting gospel one last chance. And you know what the people are doing? It says they still won't repent, shaking their fists. We will not have this man rule over us. There's coming a day when the reapers are going to come. Verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, the hour of the time has come. Because the harvest of the earth is ripe, then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped as one reaping. Verse 17, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, the other angel, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. Why? Because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. Blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Back home in Cleveland, we were just finishing up a study through Revelation, taking us a year or more. Just, and, and that was hours each gathering. And just we were only giving a skim over every chapter. So, and time doesn't permit us to do that here. But... It's known that one day, Jesus says back in the parable, if you go there to Matthew 13 again, there's coming at the end of the age when there's going to be a reaping, a reaping, when God is going to separate those who are truly converted his, he knows his own, 
and those who are not his. And we see the two different destinations. Judas is a prime example, a prime example for us of one of the weeds being planted among the wheat. We see things that Jesus said about Judas. Well, first in uh, Matthew chapter 10, if you, you don't have to look there, it's the first verse. It says he sent the 12 out to heal every kind of disease, to preach, to cast out demons. Judas was doing those things. You say, how could God do that? Well, God worked. God does that. It's God's power. And he gave them this power. It wasn't their own power. God gave them this power to do. And Judas was among the 12, three, three and a half years with the Lord Jesus, 24-7, right? Left everything to follow the Lord. The Lord or, or the group decided he would be the treasurer, right? But what was he doing? He was stealing. Secretly, he was stealing. He was a thief at heart. Never truly repented. Jesus says things, he, the 12, he says, didn't I choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil. That is not a term for any child of God. It's a man, that's a term for an unconverted, Jesus calls him a devil. Jesus says, later he says, it's written, son of man must be betrayed, will be betrayed. But woe unto that man who betrays him. Be better for that man, what? He's never born. Jesus says he's praying to the Father. He says, Father, I've lost none. None have perished except the son of destruction. Some of your translations, the King James says perdition. That word is a strong word. It means destruction. It doesn't mean annihilation. It means punishment, eternal torment. None has perished except the son of perdition. Judas betrays the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And then he feels a bit of remorse for an innocent man. That doesn't mean he repented. How do we know that? Well, because the scriptures we've already read, and then what does he do? He doesn't come back to the Lord like Peter did when he messed up. He runs out and he hangs himself. And in Acts chapter 1, Peter says he hung himself, and then uh, it says basically... He fell down. Probably the rope broke, it seems like. And I don't mean to be gross, but this is what the scriptures say. His guts were spilled out. And then he says he went to his own place. Judas is in hell. Hades. Fire. Torment right now. And it's just horrifying to me because the disciples, the 11 disciples, after Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me at the Lord's Supper. Who? Me? Not I, not I, not I. Who is it, Lord? What does he say? I'll clearly tell you who it's going to be. It's the one I take the sop, the bread with, dip it, and give it to him. Judas, here you go. And then Jesus said, what you do, go and do quickly. And Judas went out. And what did the disciples say? Lord, where, where, where is he going? Because they thought maybe Jesus was sending him out something for the treasury and this and that. They didn't have a clue that Judas was not truly converted. He's among us. 1 John 2.19 says this. It says, they went out from among us. Because they are not all of us. If they would have remained with us, they were of us. But they went out, it says this, it says they went out from us to show us, the true believers, that they're not all of us. They're not all of us. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. This is not a new teaching to the Lord, even in your last parable. You've got the four different soils. The first one, Satan snatches the seed away, right? They don't even understand well, they're not converted. But then you've got three groups left, and two out of the three 
are unconverted. Only the last one produces fruit. And yet these other two groups, they're professing Christians. Hmm. Verse 13 of Matthew 7. To me, this is the most, I don't know what I want to say, it's just the most terrible passage in the scriptures. Again, I can understand someone who's blatantly rejecting God, rejecting Jesus. I mean, I don't like it per se, but I, I understand. Okay, they're, they're going to hell. But let's read the passage. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says. This is the end of his Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon. It's, it's his whole conclusion, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Same word, Judas is the son of destruction. I looked it up in the Greek. It's the same exact word. Son of destruction. That leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. It's a wide gate. Many or few are on it. Many. Many are on it. Keep that word many in your memory. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit here it is again, is cut down, thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does. That word does is a, it's in a present perfect sense. Who is doing the will of my Father. Not everyone who's talking about heaven is going to heaven. Not everyone who says, calls Jesus Lord, is going to heaven. These are not the atheists. These are not the Muslims, the Hindus, other religions. You you fill in the blanks. I'm not picking on any of those groups. They're not calling Jesus Lord. This is in the quote-unquote Christian religion. Not everyone who says, but only he who is doing the will of my Father. What's Jesus saying? You get to heaven by what you do? No. It's the same thing James, the argument James is making. Faith without works is dead faith. You can say that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but if there's not a changed life, the cover on your bulletin this morning, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Why? Because part of the package deal that God gives us is not only removing your sins, the penalty, but he gives you the promised promised gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and you, he changes you. You get new desires, new want-tos. You're not perfect by any means, but you want to get in God's Word. You want to be with God's people. We're going to look at some of the uh, tests that God gives us to help us see if we're truly a true believer or are we deceived ourselves. But there's a new life given to everyone who is in Christ Jesus. Verse 23. There's that word again, many will say to me on that day. It's the same many on the wide road. The many on the wide road are calling Jesus Lord. Again, the, the whole of Scripture teaches us if they reject God and the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, there's no hope for them. We understand that. But this is the group they're professing to be Christians. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons. In your name, perform many miracles. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I did all this. I was baptized, God, in the name of Jesus. I prayed, God. I I gave, I'm a Christian. I, I took the Lord's Supper in the name of Jesus. I served in the name of Jesus. I, and the list is here, cast out demons and miracles and things. Wow. This is the, most terrible verse in the Bible to me personally. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Key word there, never. These are not people who were true Christians and they lose their salvation. We're going to talk about that in a moment. You cannot lose 
true conversion. God converts you, you're his. He saves you, he keeps you. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Judas. Judas was, I mean, come on, what an example. He wasn't just to that very last day, apart from his secretly stealing stuff, nobody kind of knew. He was a good kind of Christian guy. He's one of the 12. And Jesus says, I never knew you. That word know there is that intimacy. God wants us, he saves us so that we can know him. Isn't that what eternal life is? Father, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants us, he saves us for one goal, that we can know him intimately, the Father, and know his son Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's about an intimate relationship. And if you've been born again, he gives you his Holy Spirit as the down payment that you're going to get a new body and guaranteed to go to heaven. And he gives you his Holy Spirit to lead you, to teach you. One of the young boys up here quoted the verse, lead me, Lord, right? Uh, Another part of the verse says, lead me by your good spirit. So God gives you his spirit as a gift. That's why you're changed. I used to sell drugs out on the street and all kinds of yucky stuff. And in a moment, I got born again. Did I become perfect? No, but none of that stuff, it just fell off. I wrestle with temptations. I still commit sin, but I'm a confessing sinner and I'm confessing that I did it, it's wrong, and I'm confessing that Jesus paid it all. That's part of confession of sin, perhaps the most important part. God always wants us to confess our sin to lead us back to the cross. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. It's Jesus. But there's fruit. There's a changed life. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house. It fell, and great was its fall. In John 8, just for time's sake, you might you can look at it yourself, but in John 8, chapter 30, let's look there. We need to look at John chapter 8, at least a couple verses there. Look at verse 30. Jesus speaking to a a large group, and he says, As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. This is important. Listen carefully. Many came to believe in him. Next verse. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Are they converted or not? Let's keep reading. Next verse. If you continue or abide or remain in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Look at verse 37. The same group, he never changes the audience. He's talking to these people, these Jews who believed him. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you seek to kill me. Look at verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying, Jesus says to the same group of people? It is because you cannot hear my word. You cannot hear my word. You're trying to kill me. You are of your father, the devil. That's not a Christian. That's a lost person. And you want to do the desires, <coughs> excuse me, the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them. 
because you are not of God. Friends, I don't know your heart, but we're going to examine ourselves tonight, this morning here. Each one should examine ourselves. I can see some of you are concerned. And if you are a true believer, which I know many, hopefully most of you are, this should concern us about making sure that we help others to see these truths. In the end, they pick up stones, the last verse, to kill Jesus. They heard the words of Jesus. They believed, kind of, the words of Jesus, but they weren't truly converted. 1 Corinthians 6, turn there, please. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I am 64 years old, and I've been thinking for a long time, I'm getting older. And we're getting closer to that day when we're going to meet the Lord. And life is that quick. Generations are that quick. New generation, new generation, new generation. And we're going to have to meet the Lord. So don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, that's sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, that's sex with someone else's um, mate, or you're married and you're having sex outside of your marriage relationship with your wife, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are practicing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. Such were some of you. You used to be that. Christian, you were dealing drugs and bad language, bad actions and all these things. But you got, what's it say? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5 says the same things just for time's sake. I, the point is, thus far, not everybody who calls Jesus Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask some of the brothers to in the back to start passing out. I've got two handout sheets for you and a little gospel pamphlet. And I know the tendency is you're going to want to start reading those, but just grab them, and I'm going to continue to talk. Try to pay attention up here if you can, okay? Appreciate that. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, tells us what we should do. Paul writes three letters to Corinthians. We've only got two as Holy Scripture. One, we don't know what it said. It doesn't matter. God didn't want us to have that. But after he writes these letters, and it appears that 2 Corinthians is probably the last letter, so it might be called 3 Corinthians. Might, okay? At the end of his teaching to this church that was really struggling, they were had sin in their camp. Now remember Jesus said, don't pull out the weeds? That's in the world. But there's much teaching in the church, and I know we've, as a church, the church leaders here, we've had to exercise church discipline. Meaning, one-on-one, you go to someone who's calling themselves a Christian. If they're out in the world, they're out in the world, they're supposed to be acting like that. But if you're in our group, his group, the Lord's family here, And if you're practicing these things, there are steps to follow. If I see or you see in me some of these sins, I'm practicing whatever they might be, you need to come to me privately, just one-on-one. If I repent, done deal. Forgotten, forgiven, let's move on. If I don't repent, you get one or two more witnesses. If that doesn't happen, you bring it before the church. If that doesn't happen, they're out of our group of believers. Why? Because you can't have... This sin among us, if you're professing to be a believer, 
If you're not saying you're a Christian, but you're just here to learn, it doesn't give you permission to continue sin because you're going to have to deal with the Lord, but you're still permitted to be here and, 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 and here, but you're just not one of the believers of Jesus Christ. So first, 2 Corinthians 13.5, the end of his whole teaching, he's writing to Corinthians who are allowing this man in their church to be living with his stepmother in an immoral relationship. And it seems, well, it says they were proud. Proud of what? Oh, well, we forgive everybody. We're just gracious. We just, there's, there's yeah, there's no uh, discipline for sin. Wrong. And so at the end of his letter, he says this simple, powerful verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Some of your translations say test. Some say examine. Examine who? Yourself. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Unless you fail the test. So, as you get your handout sheet, we're out of time, and I wish we had more time. These are tremendous little tools. It's, it, God wrote the book of First John for a very specific person. A purpose. In First John chapter five, verse thirteen, he tells us he writes these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know, you might have assurance of your salvation, that you know that you have eternal life. So as you go through the book of First John, and both of those handout sheets, one was by John MacArthur, another one is by a group that's called God Questions. They wrote everything down, so I didn't have to write it down. I mean, I was going to try to go through the whole book of First John. But 1 John has got uh, 12, 10, some different kind of tests that you can look at yourself and say, is this my life? Is this me? Am I walking in the light? Am I loving the fellowship? Am I loving one another? Am I confessing my sin? Or am I those who say that I don't have sin? See, Christians sin, but Christians confess their sin. We're confessing. That verse that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. The verb tense there is, if we are confessing. We're confessing people, right? We're always confessing our sin. And it goes on and on and on. I'll give you an example in First John. Hereby we know that we know him. Here's how we know that we know Jesus. If we are keeping his commandments. The one who says, I know Jesus, but is not keeping his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Wow. Are we teaching that you have to do good deeds to be saved? Are we teaching that you have to do good deeds to stay saved? Absolutely not. But if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, and there will be works that follow. There will be works that follow. There will be works that follow. James says that again, faith without works is a dead faith. First John, one of the tests says, do not love the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we all wrestle with these things. And again, take time with the sheets. Uh, if I just left you hanging here, it would be not good. But you do have two study sheets there, and they're really well written out. It's everything that I, I, I know God would want us to know. And it, it's, it's so after a message like today, we're going to be tempted that, wow, maybe I'm not saved. God doesn't want that. God raised the first John so that you'll know that you are saved. And if you are saved and you're struggling with these things, he wants you to know that you are saved and you're still struggling with these things and to keep moving on. And it's going to spur us on. When I read these Thoughts. I mean, I'm convicted, right, as a believer to love the brethren, to not love the world. So real quick in Hebrews, I want to close this in Hebrews. So how are we truly converted? Hebrews chapter 9, we spoke a little bit about this this morning in the first service. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, just the second half of verse 26. 
It says, but now, once, at the end or the consummation of the ages, Jesus has been manifested or made known to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So how do we get our sins put away? By us trying to be a good person, trying to do good, trying to stop sinning, trying to do more for God? No. It's by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, For it's appointed unto man once to die... And after this comes the judgment. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. That's one of the tests to know if you're really going to heaven, that you're eagerly awaiting for Jesus. How does this come about? Some of you might say, this is like brand new to me. I'm concerned. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven and The Bible says that it's God's sovereignty. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them away. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. How do I know if God gave me to Jesus? Well, come to Jesus. Our responsibility, God's sovereignty. What's our responsibility? To come to Jesus is one verse. Another verse says, as many as received him, to them God gave the right to become the children of God. What's it mean to receive him? Him. Who he is, he's, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Not just the one, oh, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. But Jesus, you're my Lord. My sin is the fact that I've been my Lord. And I repent of that and I put my faith, my trust in you, Jesus, that you died once on the cross for all my sins. You shed your blood for me because you love me. And you rose again on the third day. And you're coming back to judge the world. And I receive you. I welcome you. I accept you. As many as received him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Jesus, stay over there. I don't want you in my life. If that's you this morning, you need to repent and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And then you'll know the forgiveness of sins. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. Then your life will begin to change. And then you'll know for sure you're forgiven and he loves you. There's a little pamphlet I passed out also with the group. It's when you die, where will you go? Please, my dear friends, we're out of time. This tremendous scriptures in that passage, in that little pamphlet. It simply answers that question, how you can know for sure where you go to heaven, that you'll go to heaven. Last little passage and we're done. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard these verses before. Verse 27. My sheep. Jesus is talking again to the Jews. He says, you're not my sheep, but my sheep. Comparison, contrast. My sheep. What do they do? Hear my voice. How do you know? One of the tests you can know if you're really saved, that you're the Lord's, you hear the voice. I don't mean an audible voice. You hear. You hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I know them intimately. They're mine. And they what? Follow me. Not in perfect obedience because we're stubborn sheep still. Stupid sheep still. But has there been a change in your life when you used to not hear the voice of Jesus and want to follow him but now you do hear the voice of Jesus and you want to follow him my sheep hear my voice I know them they follow me and I give unto them what kind of life eternal once he gives it to you you're in for good and they shall never what perish never perish why because my father this is one of the benefits of being born with a big hand and a little hand Makes a good illustration sometimes. The pair of keys here is you and me, the sheep. The big hand represents God the Father. The small hand represents the Lord Jesus. They're equal as God. Jesus said the Father's greater in authority. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Why? Because my Father who gave them to me is greater than all. My Father gave them to me. And and you're in my hand. And 
I'm misquoting it, sorry. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, they will never perish. There it is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? No one. You can't snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. If you're a true believer, you can't get yourself out of Jesus' hand. Why? Because my Father, who gave them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So if you're saved, you're saved for eternity. Praise the Lord. Now let's start living like it. Let's start living like it. Let's follow Him. Let's hear His voice. Let's get in His Word. Let's return to our first love. Right? Remember, you used to read the Bible and want to and really spend time in His Word. You used to pray. You used to really want to. And you prayed about everything. And you had such a desire to tell people that you know every person without Jesus is going to hell. You wanted to tell them somehow, some way you were praying, you were trying to tell them about Jesus so they can be saved. So that they can be in the Lord Jesus' hand and in the Father's hand, safely secure for all eternity. Let's return to our first love, brethren. And if you're not saved, you're not sure, you can come and talk with me. We've got elders and plenty of others here that you can speak with. Um, I know this is very serious. This is about eternity, friends. So we're going to pray right now. I'm not going to have you ask Jesus in your heart or anything like that, but you need to take these papers home and uh, get along with God soon. Don't wait. And God will help you. God wants you to... John, The Gospel of John says he writes the Gospel of John so you can have eternal life. He writes First John so that you can know that you have eternal life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you're not the author of confusion. We know the enemy is. So please sort out any confusion... Lord, if anyone here is truly converted and feeling guilty or convicted, Lord, let them deal with the sin, but let them not think that they're unconverted, Lord. Please give them your assurance as they, uh, as they spend time with you and your word. Lord, if there's any here in this group that are not truly converted, maybe they've been coming here for a long time, Maybe they're born into a Christian family. They have Christian parents. Maybe whatever, Lord. Would you please just work in hearts, Lord, so that many would be converted, Lord. Please work in our hearts. We pray for these handout sheets, Lord, filled with your scriptures. Lord, please help each one of us to go through these for ourselves and help others, we pray. Lord, this is your harvest. This is your work. We leave the results in your hands. Draw people to Jesus, Father, so that you're glorified and our joy is made full. In your name we pray. Amen.